Welcome to the Bilge Pumps, where a bunch of naval geeks spout off. Okay. Um, well, recording is and recording is started. So, shall I lead in? Go on. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Bilge Pumps, and it's time for episode fifty-one. Uh, Dr. Clark has resurfaced after his research trip, and he has found out many new and interesting things, some of which he really wishes he didn't. Um, <laughs> Jamie has uh, woken up early because it's Australian time, uh, so we're very grateful for that. And I'm sitting here bemused after having had to spend the weekend replacing a punctured car tire. But other than that... A weekend. We're all on time. a weekend. Why didn't you yes, get a well, table of it, tires? It went flat yesterday, and I had to take it in. And then they discovered they didn't have the tire, but they thought they would have the tire uh, today. So they, because the tire place was only about five ten minutes away, they 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 overpressured the tire so that I could get home. Um, I then had to reinflate the tire this morning and take it over to them when they discovered that they had ordered in the tire, but the tire had the wrong speed rating. So now they've given me a secondhand runner tire and I have to go back next week instead. Drac, can I just ask you something? Did you by any chance go back to the dealer? Yes. So this is like the Royal Navy deciding to go back to BAE to fix the engines on the Type 45s rather than, as they did do, go to Camel Laird's. Well, in our might... area, there is a wonderful tire place called Tadworth Tires. They have been around <laughs> for about 60-odd years. <laughs> and you take your car to them, and they have a huge tire collection, and they fix it. They'd be the first They'd be the first independent tire, tire dealership I've found that actually stocks any unreasonable number of Volvo tires. My mum and my sister both drive Volvos, and mm. we go there regularly. I live not... <laughs> they even stock Subaru tires, which are even rarer than Volvo. Fair I know enough. this is off the topic, everyone, but please look up your local tire dealership. They are sometimes better than the dealers. In <laughs> fact, quite often in my experience. Anyway. All right. Oh, especially judging by poor, your poor experience. I do apologize, Jack. That must be terrible. I, I, I have a personal bet as to which, which Volvo dealership you're going to in our <laughs> area. <laughs> yes. Well, I... I, 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 I... I did a little bit of retail therapy at an airsoft shop in the afternoon to compensate for it. Oh God, how big is it, and how how much steel wool should I get? Um, I'll I I may show you later, but um, yeah. Well, this is the wonderful thing about a podcast. I can wave guns around, and no one can censor me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Anyway, and he's and he's got a cool picture of USS Johnston behind him, which might have appeared yes. earlier this week, but I wasn't around to tell. No, courtesy of Space Pick Shovel. Those of you who are listening and uh, want a really, really cool poster of USS Johnston about to go one on one with half the Japanese fleet, um, go and check him out. Uh, all right, so so space topics. And really, we're being nice because we've been buying Jamie time because today's first topic. Is Australia and submarines? Oh, nice. yeah, so we could we we could start Jamie off with we 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 have gone through this topic enough that we think we've taken out most of the swear words, but it it, it, it might not hold. Yeah. <laughs> he is looking at the article again. Uh, oh, but, yeah, uh, broadly speaking, it seems that Australia has realised that the French submarines, which is a 
diesel version of a nuclear submarine may not work. And so they're looking at the German options. Now, I have a theory there why they're looking at the German options, because the German option has no freaking chance in anywhere of including in the place which people often say in even if it froze over of actually fitting the requirements of the Australian Navy for operating on half their coasts and half their areas of critical operation. It can operate on half very well, but on the other 50%, it's useless, pretty much. Now, because this it's is too where, short ranged. This is where I will step in and say, maybe we shouldn't be blaming the French entirely for this. Oh, scenario. no, you, you shouldn't. In, in, in um, because the, the first thing... The French. The first thing that was said in this article was that we're going to get the German submarine modernized or upgraded or varied in order Lengthened. to suit our requirements. <laughs> so right straight away, we've got the same situation where, you know, okay, is, is, it, is it the Australian procurement mindset or is it the simple fact that nothing suits us, so therefore we have to whatever it is we buy, we're going to have to face this risk. Um, look, you know, th there's no doubt that the, the French sub looks good on paper, but there's also no doubt that changing a nuclear submarine to a diesel electric is a massive challenge. <laughs> yeah, as we covered in an earlier episode. As we covered before. And, okay, so we know why they need to do that, because we need to be able to operate in both confined and deep blue mm -hmm. waters. And we need to operate from distances that, you know, roughly a quarter of the planet to half the planet away. Which, without a nuclear industry, means that, you know, it's a, a big, big ask. Now, look, it wasn't impossible to do. They did that during World War II. They, they had, you know, um, British and American submarines operating out of Western Australia and interdicting in um, Southeast Asia. It wasn't exactly easy on the poor submariners, but it still happened. So I guess that you know, um, the um, Type 214 with a few extra batteries packed in and a little bit of extra uh, fuel and food um, might be able to do the job. They are Apart describing making it as Those being... changes are going to ruin your submarine performance or you're going to need of to course. reconfigure the hull because yeah. it's incredibly careful balance. Otherwise, you end up with it going splat somewhere. So if, you know, if we buy it off the shelf, it would probably require, you know, um, some other forms of investment, such as a submarine base on the northern coast of Western Australia, mm. um, which, you know, is probably a hell of a lot cheaper outcome here <laughs> than um, completely um, inventing a new submarine and calling it a derivative of a French nuclear to be yeah. fair, though, what you probably also need is to buy more of them so you can have a squadron based in the existing base and a squadron based in the northern base. Well, the concept for the French sub was 12. Mm -hmm. um, how many of these we get, I don't know. It depends. They're calling them interim. So I suspect that by interim, that means we're replacing the Collins class subs that don't really have the or aren't in good enough condition to um, upgrade and extend their lives. Um, so, you know, we, how many is that? Who knows? Um, we've got six. I have one small question though, and this is one small question. 
at roughly the same time as Australia started looking into this, Indonesia started ordering its own class, which has roughly similar characteristics to what you think the Australians would look at. I'm talking about, of course, the Nagpasa class, Nagapasa class, which are an upgraded variant of the Yang Bongo class, which are parts that are made by South Korea. 1,400 tons, um, range of 11,000 nautical miles at 10 knots on the surface, 8,000 nautical miles at 10 knots snorkeling, 400 nautical miles at 4 knots submerged, 50 days endurance, 500 meter test depth, complement roughly 40. So, uh, quite advanced sensors of processing, armament, torpedoes, all sorts of things. These are the things that we seem to constantly be demanding get swapped out anyway. Yes, but uh, I'm just sitting here going, and I, I just tell me if I'm completely wrong here. Why are Australia again looking to Germany and etc. when actually one of their next door neighbours is procuring a class which, with very little modification, could theoretically fit that role? In fact, um, fit the role which they're requiring for it. I, I look. That's way beyond my pay grade. I'm afraid. Um, I guess there is a. A degree of you know familiarity I suppose with um, German or French designs I suppose they as, did as, fight at least one of them in uh, the previous world wars <laughs> well you know um, uh, Cockham's probably has relationships with both the, the guys that built the, the Collins look I again I just don't know it's um, it's, it might well be because they are getting it that we're not. You know, these, I'm sure that you know what a relationships between neighbours are like, um, specifically you know, your relations with the French and the Germans. <laughs> um, Look, we but, haven't uh, invaded them at all recently. <laughs> we've been quite and, you know, nice. We've, ne- we've, never, we've never had any problems with Indonesia you know, since they've been a, a, a sovereign nation. So, you know, look, it's... It, it, it just goes to show that you know these submarines are a problem. Um, that what you get and what you need are, are very, very unlikely to be. Uh, you know those requirements are very, very difficult to meet. You know, I suspect. Hmm. I mean, look, yeah, Tommy, you, you probably know the the two one four a bit better than I do. Um, I mean. It's 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 look, once again it looks to me as though it's a sub that's designed to operate in the Baltic. Yeah, yeah, I mean this this is the thing. I think fundamentally the problem you have these days is as you as you said in World War Two you had long range diesel electric submarines, but that's because diesel electric was the only game in town, so they had to build them to be able to do do it. And also to be honest, in the Pacific they had forward operating bases as well, refueling points. These days. Anyone who wants to play in the deep ocean gets a nuclear sub, which means that outside of the Collins, everyone else who's building diesel electrics has built them almost exclusively for shallow water, coastal, small sea environments where range isn't actually that important. But, but yeah, the counterpoint to that argument, which is very very well established because it's a debate that we've been having in australia for a very long time why not buy Mm. nukes is another subject we've touched on in the past year Mm. maintaining their um, reactors yes now australia has one 
experimental nuclear facility. That's it. It's generally used specifically to make radioactive isotopes for medical um, reasons. Mm. So you can probably count the number of nuclear engineers in Australia on one hand. Now, I'm sure that there's not exactly a proliferation of such skills in places such as the UK and the US that would be ready and eager to emigrate. Um, and, I've met half know, my students in the mechanics department. They'd love it. Basically, yeah, but the nuclear, moment, though. Quite a lot of them are, actually. Cause <laughs> okay. My university departments, <clears throat> some of the university departments I support are kind of weird. For those listeners who don't know, I teach history of engineering to engineering students at Kings University. It's yeah. a lovely university, but you ha- it, it, there is some definite strangeness going on with the students, and the amount of them who end up working for Rolls-Royce and Atkins and various other go-to problem-solving firms is quite disturbing. Anyway, so we, we know how much difficulty you know, countries such as India have op- maintaining and operating their um, purchased nuclear submarines. Mm. And we we also know that um, it's not exactly easy to keep our, um, reactors in pristine conditions in the, the countries that build them. So okay, so if, if if we're suddenly talking about the purchase of twelve nuclear submarines in a, for Australia, the simple capacity of brain power to be able to do that job and do it well does not exist, and it's not going to exist for a century even if we suddenly start building nuclear reactors today. Okay. So saying that, right, and the article is talking about a Type 214 submarine. Now, the Nagpasa class is based off the Changbo, which is based off a version of the, is the South Korean version of the 209. The South Koreans are building their own, again, modified version of the 214. Okay, bear with me. The Son One class, I presume, I, I think. Uh, they've got nine boats they're working on. Again, they've been similarly upgraded in their design for longer range operations than the 214 is already. So, again, basically, what uh, this paper seems to be suggesting is that Australia is not only going to be reinventing the wheel in terms of modifying it. They've actually got a wider neighbour in South Korea. It's a wider neighbour Australia. They are in groups together. They are, they do have bilateral bilateral relations going on quite well. That's already done a lot of the legwork. Just a quick question there, and it's simply because I'm not familiar with the subject. How much involvement would the German industry have taken place? had involved in this modification of this submarine. Interestingly enough, when it comes to South Koreans, they seem to have a lot less involvement than you'd think. I was just wondering how much of that knowledge would therefore already be um, in the hands of the 214's builders, which can then you know, adapt that adaption that is already underway to suit Australia. I would say going to Australia, going to Germany, it's uh, the German builders. It's like going to it's going to the prime contractors. Yes, that's lovely, but it's like um, oh, I'm trying to think. And our American listeners will have more of this idea, but uh, uh, we'll have more sort of. But it's like going for a Cooper 
version mini rather than a mini mini when they first came out the mini the, the cooper variant of the minis were these tuned up really good versions so if you wanted to really race that's what you got uh if you had the regular mini that was fine or you got the mg 1100 which is what my mum had which was sort of a mini but fatter and longer um I, and before anyone starts coming back to me from the mg owners club that was actually a description given to me by the mechanic when he was fixing my mom's MG1100. So we'll leave that to one side. The thing is, it's kind of like if you wanted a Mini Cooper, you went to the people who produced, uh, I'm, I'm trying to forget it, the people who gave you the Cooper mods on the Mini. The mini. And now, of course, there is the Mini Cooper, which is the whole new thing which the Germans BMW builds. But I'm talking about the original variant, and that's even more complicated. And I, I don't know why I've gone. But basically, the whole point is, if you can get there's the standard cut vehicle is very, very good at what it does, and then there's the modified one, and you basically want something which is very similar to the modified one, but instead of going to that, which will require a couple more tweaks you're going back to the standard one and going to modify from the baseline. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, but the other option, of course, you know, because at the moment they're exploring options, which is the life extension of columns. Mm. Please don't. Um, well, yeah, again, it's we're seeing that um, story panning out in the United States at the moment with the latest US budget, the very, very old cruisers that uh, are their first-rate ships. Well, this not, is the trouble. They not, getting, to... not, not, not getting their life extensions completed because, well, how much can you extend the life of something that's already, what, 40 years old? Yeah, and I've heard and good condition... things about the Americans' plan for the next generation service esc heavy service escort. And... Yeah, and also, you know, when it comes to Collins, they're talking or upgrading the Collins. They're also talking about companion vehicles being underwater, unmanned, uncrewed vessels. So, you know, again, this comes back to the previous discussions that we had. One of the problems that I think um, comes along with French submarine design is that it's only got the standard sort of torpedo tubes. It doesn't have capacity for launching anything. That might be a bit bigger and a bit different. That's exactly the kind of thing that you might be expecting to see in the future. Um, and the trouble so is, you don't want to add those things in afterwards, do you? No, you don't, because poking holes in submarines is not a good idea. Um, but if you've got some of these, you know, Orca-type UUVs um, with their companion submarine, giving them, you know, local control semi-autonomous to full autonomous but still there's something nearby that can uh, give it instruction to, probably in a what would end up being a pretty uh, <coughs> intense um, electronic warfare environment around it anyway you know it, it then all of a sudden maybe you don't need to have the best personnel carrying submarine available um, because you've got a remote vehicle that can do all the risky stuff Which may also account for why you'd go for a two one four. Is this? I suppose it comes back to, you know, adapting the um, Turkish LHD. 
into a drone carrier kind of concept. You don't really need to put the ship in the front line anymore. It becomes a support vehicle. It becomes a, a command and control unit. You've got a, you know, um, a, a standoff capability that you didn't have previously without um, any serious loss of capability in the unit that's standing forward. Nice idea, and I do agree with it, but and I say this looking at the Australian submarine system honestly. I think the Australians have a predilection and the US Navy suffering from the same thing of instead of building something which has capacity for upgrading, they want something which has it all right now. But haven't we already been through the whole built for but not with problems in the past that's the, that's the royal navy built for not with i'm not talking about even being built for not with i'm talking about something being built with space i'm talking about something being built with basically you're, being you're designed. talking about you're talking about the french design that was why we went for a big sub partly even though no, it doesn't it's have not a big, necessarily... it's not a big sub though the french sub is not a big sub this is the point it uh, people think it's big a big sub it's it, Okay, it's big for a diesel. We, we can we can go with that if we want to, but honestly, it's not a big sub once you get inside it. The astute class that is a big sub once you go inside it. Trust me, it is big. Vanguard class they're big on the inside. Trust me. Typhoons big on the inside. Haven't been in one, but have seen a lot of pictures. Have some very nice uh, uh, exercise areas. They have a swimming pool. Yes, you know, you might as well have one. You're going to be ending the world, you might as well do it in style. Um, the whole point is this. Space is becoming a premium. And I think the trouble for the Australians and the trouble with the SSK is it's able to, and the 214, is it's able to be getting it made big for confined waters. And I think the Koreans have come up against this. But I'm not sure if it's able to be made big for what a nation which is looking at open waters needs to do. And if you consider Australia, what they really want to be able to do is with those off the offboard units, etc., be able to st stick one submarine in a choke point and know that choke point, barring if the enemy manages to take out the submarine, is closed. And if the enemy takes out the submarine, they've kind of revealed which choke point they're coming from, and you send in all the air force. Mm, yeah, those, those choke points are a long way away. I think and I that's think that, trouble. So that's we, why we, we, we also got F thirty fives. So I mean, there, there is a bit of crazy talk going on at the moment for Australia to buy twelve B twenty ones. So the B twenty one, the next the, the next generation. I'm just once again, I'm thinking. You know, Australia is always accused of being a boutique force. What's the next level up from boutique? Um, <laughs> artisan. <laughs> yes, an artisan force. Oh, yeah. good Lord. I, I know, the Royal Air Force keeps flirting with the B-21, and I keep going, yeah, are you in whose budget? 
<laughs> I, I, I think fundamentally what it comes down to is Australia. Australia is a country in need of a nuclear submarine, an SSN, but as you said, does not have the infrastructures to support an SSN. And as a result, it's it's literally the only country that has a need for a big, long-range oceanic SSK. No, there's two others. Go on. Canada. Um, or reason they went to Victoria's. The, all the upholders are sort of, as British people call them. Yes, but has the, 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 I suppose the, the counterpoint to that is, has Canada actually done much of anything with their subs? The fact, whether, Australia actually, for, for all the issues they're having currently with the replacement they do actually you know use the Collins class uh, 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 don't get me wrong no i'm i'm saying in terms of need mm. no fair enough and the third one is the uk yeah except we've got all nuclear because we we've sold got our all last <laughs> we've got all nuclear diesels to canada but th that causes us problems because we actually have a huge industry which could support a diesel electric submarine force quite easily we have a lot of facilities a lot of the technologies a lot of development is in the uk anyway and yet we have none of the we have none of those submarines when actually we'd rather need them because we've got a shrinking nuke force because it's so expensive to maintain nuke force and a nuclear deterrent force so that means actually we need some as force multipliers. And for us, having short-range submarines is basically like saying, okay, you, we have a submarine we can deploy to Gibraltar. Well, hey! How about some sort of timeshare leasing arrangement? Mm. That might help offset some of the costs. You know? I was going to say, since, since, every, since uh, Canada, Australia, and the UK are all adopting variants on the Type 26, maybe somebody needs to design a, what be a Canazork? Canazork, maybe? Uh, <laughs> diesel Can electric. Canazork, yeah. Well, that, mm. that's the thing, actually. And this is the other thing. Britain does maintain studies in diesel electrics. Every time we produce an SSN, we produce a study which shows the diesel, a diesel variant of it. So that means we probably have somewhere an up-to-date diesel variant version of the latest uh, Astute class. And I'm not so, talking as in as in the Barracuda with a SSK engine stuck inside uh, an SSN hull. Probably a large SSK hull with the computers and all that fancy, lovely gubbin stuff of, of the SSN stuck inside its hull. What I suggest you do is pick up the phone to Admiral Mead here in Australia. Mm. Um, he's only got about a month left before he puts his uh, report to Parliament. So... If he can, if you can come up with an argument um, that demonstrates that can be turned mm. around in a in a time frame that's either shorter or similar to that of the French mm. <coughs> contract, which was, which according to this we're still pursuing, even though we're getting the, um, mm. to, or, or you know, the, even though we are considering extending the life of our existing fleet or and or interim two one fours, or perhaps doing all three. Um, yeah, maybe you might be in with a winner. So, Admiral and to, be, to be honest, given the current political environment, all you have to do is tell our current crop of politicians it's something the French are failing to do, and we could potentially do better. And Australia will be promised the submarines last Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, well, oh. he's, he's got to he's got to provide a, a report in uh, mm. next month. So, yeah, um, get on that phone now. To be fair, we have Camelard. We could hand the design over to them and go build, and they probably go, 
How much? Because we're quite busy at the moment. This is the uh, money. Well, you see, here's, here's, the prob- here's the problem, you see. They want to build them here. Oh, that's another... fine. We'll build, we'll build a couple for ourselves over here to practice, the, to work out how to build it. Then we'll tell you how to build it. Or, or we get creative in terms of... And then of we'll sell those, one, those, those first ones to the Canadians and build some more <laughs> for ourselves. <laughs> or, or get very creative as to how, how, you, um, how you use the term uh, built in Australia. Because technically speaking, if they're all assembled in component blocks and then stuck on a tanker and shipped over to Australia... I and they put together the like a giant with, Lego set. I think that's the part of the part of the problem we were having with the French contract as well. <laughs> oh right, <laughs> they yeah, already thought that one. <laughs> we're, we're good at the giant Lego set. We did a whole carrier bus a giant Lego set. Come on. All right. We anyway, have so I mean, to be honest, Queen Elizabeth looks Lego a little set. bit like a giant Lego block as well. So it does, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> anyway, that's that ongoing saga. We'll find out more in uh, next month. We'll... Mm. Yeah. Watch this space. And as we're talking about British carriers, we should also be talking about how the HMS Queen Elizabeth's deployment seems to be having an impact all around the world before she's even actually gone anywhere. Well, she's on the verge of becoming USS Robin 2 now with Twin Islands. Because mm-hmm. the uh, whilst the Americans have a number of carriers in the Pacific generally, the only one they currently have active in the Western Pacific is being redeployed, uh, apparently, to go and help with uh, the with withdrawing from Afghanistan, which means that temporarily there will not be any active US Navy carriers in the Western Pacific, which means that when Queen Elizabeth shows up, she will be the only major carrier, Western carrier afloat in the Western Pacific. So she's kind of holding the fort for everyone. And let's be honest, before anyone gets starts pointing out the uh, the US Marine Corps are providing a squadron aboard and all sorts of things, a lot of things, they were introduced to the Queen and the current... They're ours now. <laughs> they're, they're, they're apparently, A, claiming that she's the honorary US Marine, because she's she's tough enough to be one, and B, they are have said, well, some of them on, and I follow some of them on Twitter, have said that they are now prepared, to, their view is, show them the Queen's enemies, they will eat them. Um, I don't think that tweet is still available on, on public search, but uh, they are lovely, lovely gentlemen, according to all the sources received, and ladies, um, they are wonder- uh, wonderful people, and um, the Queen was suitably impressed by them, and they were apparently suitably impressed by Her Majesty. So, I'm not worried about crew cohesion on that ship, because they basically <laughs> and- were told by Her, her Maj, it's got my name on it. It might be named for my forebear, but it's got my name on it, so treat her like, like a lady. <laughs> it, I think the other interesting thing, to be honest, at that point is, um, I mean, weirdly enough uss robin aka hms victorious also operated uh u.s fighter aircraft aboard her during her stint in the pacific mm-hmm. yes roughly half and half so she mm. you know she turned up in um in theater alongside of the uss saratoga um part it was you know part of it was practical because she'd only just had um some rather slapdash quick work to get these brand spanking new um, Avengers um, on board. Um, you know, they were brand spanking new for the um, Saratoga as well, so there's nothing really out of the ordinary there, but they didn't really have enough time to, to upgrade all of her arrestor cables to the um, to the pull weight necessary to, to stop a um, Avenger before it went into the um, 
um, crash barrier. So or the ocean. while they were while they were they had some fairly nasty accidents, shall we say, because of that. Um, so the one way to solve that problem, plus also to take advantage of the Victorious's um, well-practiced and well-developed fighter direction unit, was to say, well, look, Saratoga, you're a hell of a lot bigger than us, so therefore you can handle these Avengers. And uh, those cute little tubby wildcats of yours, they can all be piled onto ours, and uh, we can um, take over, uh, you know, cap and interception duties for you. And by all accounts, that worked out quite well. And yeah, you, know, you, you couldn't really tell the difference either because they they were all uh, carrying the white star anyway. So, mm. and it works. Yeah. yeah, so it's I mean it's it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, I think. I mean, it's still even though it's smaller than a US supercar, it's still superior to what the Chinese have got out there at the moment. So. I wonder how many of the how many of the officers and crew are going to catch on to the um, potential implications. The, well, well, I mean, I think that was you know something that we've again discussed repeatedly here, haven't we? Initially, it was discussing the the um, gap, the Bonhomme Richard size gap in mm. the Pacific, um, and that that's a um, nuclear supercarrier size gap. So, I guess Queen Elizabeth sits neatly in between the two. But it's, it does suddenly seem to have to run a bit of a gauntlet to get there, though. Yes. So, if, what, uh, Russia has decided to send a bunch of backfire bombers into Syria. Two of them. Yeah, no, no, I think it's actually more than that. I'm fairly sure it's more than that. They usually they usually pathfind with a couple. Yeah, so I'm, sure that the, I'm sure that the satellite photographs are showing at least four on the um, apron. Is that so, four working, or is that the two which got there <laughs> earlier, which was bro- broken down there, and the two which are there anyway? Um, actually, so this is okay. So three, this 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 three so far. Mm-hmm. Three, okay. But still, you know, they have long range, and they are specifically designed and built to go after aircraft carriers mm. even though they seem to have spent the, the, the last few years um what's the best term for it um modernizing russians bomb inventory by creatively disposing of all their older end bombs over syria <laughs> yes yes very true um but then again, you know, it's it's again, you know, we're, we're seeing, well, pullouts from Iraq, pullouts from Syria, pullouts from Afghanistan, and inevitably there's going to be an equal and opposite mm. reaction where there's a void. Mm. Something will naturally tend to want to fill it, and all of a sudden you've now got these nuclear-capable bombers sitting in the um, eastern Mediterranean that can pretty much sweep you know, uh, a very large swathe of that area and around into the um, you know, the, the other side of um, the Middle East into the, well, into this the is, this Persian is, Gulf and the like. So. This is kind of what the Russians have been looking for for a very long time, let's face it. They've, they've I mean, look, look at, let's look at Russian ambitions going back 
pretty much ever since they had a Black Sea fleet um, or any fleet of any description. First, first priority of the Russian Navy has always been a port that's ice free all year round. Then one, then it was we want a port that has access to the Mediterranean without having to go through the Bosporus or the Dardanelles, depending on what you want to call it. So they've managed to get their ice-free port, and uh, obviously that's more to do with the Baltic and the, and the Northern Pacific. Now, and obviously now they also have Crimea, whether we like it or not. <laughs> um, and in their weird kind of on-again, off-again relationship with Turkey, then the next logical step is to look for a way to exercise influence in the Mediterranean that isn't largely at the mercy of Turkey closing the Dardanelles Straits to them. And, well, the complete disaster that is Syria has basically given them all the necessary uh, tools for that. I mean, you've got now got you've got the bombers based there. So be interesting to see if the next logical step, given that, um, as I understand recently, Assad has won the uh, most recent Syrian election with 95% of the vote. Um, it's amazing. 5% of the people managed to vote apparently differently. Mm. Or, possibly, or possibly their hands were shaking so much they didn't actually mark the paper properly, so it's just a spoiled ballot. Um, yeah. But, uh, but no, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if they follow this up, because as you say, the backfires were originally designed for long-range anti-shipping strikes. So it gives these the... aren't anti-shipping ones, because look at where they came from. You know, it's once you start looking at yes, the Russians are certainly marketing this, but they are from uh, Shavikova Air Force Base, Kaluga and blah blah blast, which is um, Kaluga Oblast, which is just south of Moscow, mm. and Belaya Air Base, uh, which is in Okus Oblast, which is pretty much Siberia. Those are Air Force bases, those aren't the naval aviation, those aren't the anti shipping ones. They are the strike command ones, equivalently. So, yes, they might well carry the missiles, but these aren't the anti-shipping crews. No, but to me, at the same time, a long-range just... anti-shipping missile... On a supersonic aircraft. Yeah, the, the, big, the big Russian missiles, you, you don't necessarily need to be all that um, clued up in anti-shipping missions to actually use them. I mean, it's, it's one of the... One of the slightly amusing things when you have the sort of slight tangent, when you have the perennial, oh, what if hypothetical military conflict between Spain and the UK if Spain tries to take Gibraltar and all that, usual, the usual nonsense that goes around every time something even so much as twitches in Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. But one of the points that I always point out is that if we were in that kind of absurdly farcical situation, uh, Storm Shadow equipped RAF aircraft could literally take off orbit above their home base, fire a Storm Shadow, and still hit targets in most of Spain. Um, with Russian anti shipping missiles, if they want to exert influence over the uh, eastern Mediterranean, if they've got them, then it's almost literally the same case. If they're based in Syria, they can take off, get to altitude o- literally over their air base. And just ripple fire up their missiles off towards the Mediterranean, and they've still got exert. They're still able to exert control over a several hundred mile radius, possibly further, depending on what's doing the forward targeting, without 
knowing having to know anything more than how to take off how to climb and how to press the fire button um so yeah yeah and and to be honest if it's more about the fact that they're there at all because even even if they even if they're there ostensibly at the moment to back up the Assad regime by dropping even more of the iron bomb collection on uh various people opposed to Assad a backfire is a backfire if the Russians then decide we want to we want to play some hardball in the Mediterranean, mm. like say if Turkey completes their um, their punched in the face LHD, and they're having a, a bit of a fallout again. Well, you can either supplement or replace those backfires with specifically trained naval strike ones. It's the print the principle and the establishment of the force is already there, mm. and then it'll be interesting to see if the Russians follow that up with. Well, Mr. Assad, we've uh, we've been propping you up for several years now, and you know this is costing many rubles. So um, we understand you don't really have that many rubles or dollars or much of anything left because you know we blew up half your country. But what you do have is a Mediterranean port or two. So how about you sign this license deal? <laughs> Haven't they already done that? Well, they, um, they they have access to um, they have access, but I, I'm talking about this is kind of ours now. Thank you very much. Because let's face it, they might have access, but the the Russians aren't going to put a permanent. They're not, the the Russian navy is never going to put a permanent force stationed anywhere that they don't near enough own. Mm. They'll go they'll, they'll go to access ports for visits, but they they'll want a licensing agreement before they actually permanently base a force out in the mediterranean and so that isn't got... the, even the only thing that queen elizabeth has done of course that if we want to get an access agreement all that's off gibraltar there is currently a furor going on over whether or not queen elizabeth and any of her task group will actually dock in gibraltar or whether they'll just be passing through now if it, if it docks queen elizabeth is going to increase the overall La- percentage of available flat space in oh, gibraltar yeah. by about 50 percent <laughs> Potentially, yes. The point I would like to make, and this is a a semi-serious one, ships may dock, they may not, they may get fuel, they may not, they may just pass through. Mm -hmm. They're all, I think there was an official announcement from the Ministry of Defence that they will just pass through, and it was picked up by the Spanish press first. The point is this, and I love our Gibraltar listeners, but they've got quite a tight schedule to get out to the Western Pacific and into uh, into the Eastern Mediterranean, to cover for the various groups there. They might not have the time at the beginning of their deployment to also dock in... Because when you dock in Gibraltar and you dock there, you then fill up, you might fill up with fuel, you might have a run ashore, all these sort of things. It adds on hours, days. When a ship can normally just keep on steaming, that's the advantage of a ship. So I would love to see, and I hope to very soon see someday, a British carrier battle group docking in Gibraltar, kind of a la Force H from World War Two. I would like to, I want to see the pictures. I want to see it all grouped round. I would love there to be a large escort slash battleship slash battle cruiser slash whatever we want to call it. Um, tier one first rate uh, escort vessel there as part of that battle group as well. But I, I might have to wait a while longer for that one. But that doesn't mean it has to be every deployment, and this one has got pretty complicated already without adding data onto it. 
Well, I was just going to say, you know, when it comes to three backfires carrying, I guess, a maximum of six of the uh, KH-22, very mm. big, very fast, very nasty anti-carrier missiles, what can the QE's task group do about that? Because I don't really well, imagine that the F-35s are interceptors. They would be able to no. get far enough away um, and have long enough range missiles to be able to <coughs> interdict they, the, they the backfire do, do they before, carry me before they, the before they can loose their um, giant long-range um, payloads. Have the British F-35s been fitted with Meteor yet? No idea. But to be, to be perfectly honest, at, at, at the current stage, the maximum load of, of the backfires is still low enough that I'd be relatively confident in the escorts dealing with it anyway. Mm. Yeah, I, mean, I, suppose, I suppose it's a good, a good reason to have a, um, a Burke along, along with the, the mm. mission. Yeah, that, that I suppose these aren't, these aren't really ballistic missiles, so the, um, uh, you know, the British escort should be able to handle that as well. Mm. I mean that's the main reason why the um, which, which what's the US ship again? The name? End of blank. Sullivan's, isn't it? Um, I think so. Anyway, the, the main reason she's there is for the ballistic element of of defence. I think it might well be fitted onto the F-35s. At least the British have been fitting them onto the Eurofighters and uh, integrating the F-35. The plan is fully integrated by 2024. But it's already been fitted, a check fit for the internal base on the Joint Strike Fighter. It's compatible with the aircraft internal air-to-ground stations, but requires a different fin shape to be compatible with the air-to-air stations. And that was announced a while back uh, that we fit with a roll change kit. But Britain has been developing and trying to fit it since 2017. The reason I'm talking about the Meteor missile, yeah, it might not be, I, I, I'm not sure yet, but um, is that a Mac 4 missile with an unspecified range, but in excess of 54 nautical miles with apparently a no escape zone of 32 nautical miles? Now that's a fairly hefty air defence missile for Me- the modern Meteor world. Meteor goes a significant way further than that. <laughs> yes, it does. We uh, we we all know those are the official figures. We all know what the real. Uh, we all have ideas what the real ones are. Mm. Um, <clears> that there, there might be a factor of um, a zero or something in those. Uh, but leaving that to one side. That's a significantly potent missile. I'm not sure if it is fitted, but when it is fitted, if it is fitted or when it is fitted to the F-35s on a carrier battle group, that's going to be a fairly good system, which I don't think we've seen a missile in terms of its capability of range of air defense since the Phoenix. Honestly, I'm, yeah, I'm trying well, to think. Well, I, I mean, to be more, honest, more to the point is the fact that it's uh, as a ramjet powered missile, as opposed to a, a rocket-powered missile, the no-escape zone is much, much bigger. This is one of the things that people always forget when it comes to missile technology. The, uh, the earlier models and even some of the current models of air-to-air missile, you launch it, there's a rocket, the rocket goes off, rocket burns out after a little while, and it, during that stage of its flight, it is gaining energy. 
So if it makes maneuvers, it can recover that energy. But once it's past that, it is a ballistic, a ballistic guided projectile. Any maneuver it makes after that loses it energy. And there's certain maneuvers that it either can't do or can't do without losing large amounts of energy. So regardless of the overall maximum range, which is kind of the point where it loses so much energy, it falls out of the sky the no escape zone which is the area where it can outmaneuver you and pretty much guaranteed to kill you which is what you see in the movies where the missile kind of tracks in etc and just keeps going that is usually much much smaller the the sort of the advanced stage of that which is what things like the latest amrams are are dual stage rocket motors where you get one that sends it on its way and then another one that ignites a bit later on to extend that no escape zone but even then once that rocket motor burns out every mile it goes and every maneuver it does loses energy it can't regain unless it's diving um whereas a ramjet powered missile like meteor to be honest even if it's not the longest range missile in the world and we know the russians and the chinese have some of those anti-awax missiles that have stupid range um that's somewhat less relevant than the fact that the no escape zone on the meteor is massive compared to pretty much anything else on the planet because the ramjet continuously powers the missile and pretty much until it's almost the very the very edge of its range envelope which means it's just as capable of turning and chasing you down at two thirds three quarters of its range envelope as it is at one third which makes it nasty and that's the kind of that's the kind of difference that makes a big impact in yeah you know the, uh, on the ground i suppose well, not on the ground but in the air mm. it's a it, it, it doesn't sound significant but you have you've mm. just actually tripled the capability of that missile that has theoretically two-thirds of the range of your opponent so here's mm. the really scary thing this is a missile which in service at the moment we are considering pretty much the cutting edge the top of the range the british and the japanese have already signed a joint agreement to develop its successor <laughs> And frankly, if there was one thing, if I was Australia, I'd be wanting to do is get involved in that. Because if I was Australia, that and looking at building a nascent missile business, uh, that would be a missile program I'd want to be in. And honestly, I couldn't imagine a better fit for them. And, you know, in the nicest way, this is how you start developing a missile program. Well, once again, pick up the phone. Mm. Um, I'm sure that there are people on this end of the line who'd be willing to listen. Mm. Especially since there's a bit, especially as there's a bit of money being splashed around for a change. Mm. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so almost if someone's got scared when they noticed that the American carrier's gone and the, there's no other carrier, there's nothing else. Well, mm. you know, and interestingly enough, once uh, the Queen Elizabeth passes out of the uh, radius of the um, backfires, she'll be greeted by a fresh Chinese task force, which is mm. currently on its way. To, um, on an anti-piracy patrol, mm-hmm. but it's also the first deployment of its newest, biggest, and um, most heavily armed destroyer. Not the O fifty fives. Yes, the O fifty fives. Because clearly, you need yeah. a thirteen thousand ton destroyer to fight Somali pirates. Don't forget the submarines. Mm. <laughs> don't forget the Amer- don't don't forget the Russians did send Peter Veliki. So we 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 we, we you know there is yeah, 
Does. But, well, to be honest, though, if you send a Kirov, you can save your missiles. It's got so many guns on it. Didn't they actually use a sunburn on something? That just seems cruel and unusual. <laughs> I seem to remember they did I, I actually... think sunburns actually outmass a lot of the boats that the pirates <laughs> use in their attacks. I, I seem to remember they did, there was a story that they did launch a sunburn. I was never quite sure about it because there was various reports both in the English and the Russian press, speaking press, about whether they did or didn't. If they, if they did, I would suspect it would probably be more along the lines of uh, the missile commander coming up to the captain and saying, well, sir, we we have this sunburn and it's used by date is next Tuesday. And, um, well, I don't really want to carry an expired missile back home. And there, there's a suspicious looking boat out there. So please. <laughs> oh, kind kind of like the various shenanigans that the the Royal Air Force, the RAF regiment, and the army get used to get up to in the Falklands when the rapier missiles got to their expiry dates. Oh, today. Okay. So the next, next subject. Speaking of speaking of expiry dates, it's a good segue for the next subject: the U.S. Navy's budget. <laughs> oh, I forgot. What else is going to the chopping block? Oh, a lot of them going to the LCA, A lot of them going to the chopping block. Hmm. Um, and of both types, not just the. Um, not just the we eat our own engines type. No, but again, it seems as though you know, reading between the lines that aluminium hulls aren't necessarily. You mean? Are uh, you telling me for... that high speed, high stress weight capacity? And aluminium hulls in a saltwater environment is not a good combination, especially when you don't actually have the um, <laughs> the the um, sacrificial anodes. Yeah. No, I, mean, what, I, I, I think who I knew think... this, Strack? Who would have thought this? <laughs> oh, the people who built HMS Warrior. <laughs> um, I, I mean, the, the the funny thing the funny thing I find with this actually is that. I know, obviously, well, as we all know, there is a lot of heated debate back and forth for some reason still on whether or not the LCS is actually worth having. But I would note that... I, I have to say that from the, as more and more information comes out about your next frigate, mm. it's looking an awful lot like an LCS. Yeah, well, the, the interesting thing about the, this, the, the LCS, though, is they're practically new and as far as warships go. Mm. Our frigate is still going to have anodizing blocks on it, so mm. in the nicest way, stop chucking that one around. <laughs> but well, and also a you know a great uh, a, a surface to air missile that has a range that's actually further than your eye can see. Um, and I, I would like us to add as a side note: Am I? I know this is coming from a British perspective, but every time I see the fact that the U.S. Navy's new replenishment oilers are called the John Lewis class, <laughs> there is part of me that wants to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if you know this, Jamie, but in the UK, John Lewis is a department store. Uh-huh. They're quite a famous chain of department stores. Very nice mid-range department store. Yeah, they're, they're, they're lovely. You know. Oh they're, no, they're I've just realised something. <laughs> well, the, the the way that John Lewis compensates its workers is about as close to socialism as you can get in a capitalist system. Yes, 
Now you're getting it. Oh, the, the Americans oh. are going to hate that one. So the Americans say... have given their ships a communist name. Well, at least communist <laughs> department school. We... No. Yeah. <laughs> no, to, 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 so for Jamie's benefit and for those listeners who may not know what the heck we're going on about, um, John Lewis is a department store in the UK. Um, but the way that they compensate their workers is you, they get their salary. But at the end of each year, everyone also gets a bonus, which is a percentage of the profits made that year. So if the company does well, the workers do well as well. Uh, and they're all considered, if you work there, you're also considered a shareholder in the company. So and you actually partner. get something to say. Yeah. Uh, now, you will get these things in theory. In practice, some of my friends who've worked there have been less than infused mm. by it but you know you still get the bonus but it, it's, yeah. it, it is a, it is a very social socialist way of distributing the wealth which yeah that's going to be absolutely hilarious of all the, of all the department stores you could have named them after you named it after the socialist one good <laughs> going you expecting it to be debenhams <laughs> um oh but uh, i mean they say the, the thing with uh, with the lcs is for, uh, for warships they're practically new and when you look in past history, when you look at some of the uh, Spruances and the Perrys, those were sold, dash, given to various Allied navies, even though they had a lot of miles on the clock. Um, and yet, from, from the looks of things, the US Navy with these LCS is talking about just flat out taking them out of service. They're not even attempting to flog them to anybody. No one wants them. Well, this is the thing. Okay. It's like you, you, you look at some, when you can't even bribe people to buy a warship. You, you look at some days. of the some some ostensibly allied navies, and you'd think they probably could use something at least that's modern. I'm, I'm noticing that the U.S. Coast Guard's um, ship procurement budget is getting cut. So surely an LCS. Well, hunting down narco subs might be a good good role for them as. Well, at least for the trimaran ones that don't eat their own engine every five seconds. Um, they got the speed. That'd be the one the one good thing the speed is actually yeah. useful for is chasing down narco yeah. subs. And I mean, you know, the primary um, quote-unquote weapon, I suppose, of a Coast Guard mm. vessel is the uh, helicopter, and both mm. of them, both designs, have uh, got Big you know, decent... Ah, 57mm, uh, which, let's be honest, is about as powerful as you need for a Coast Guard vessel. Mm. So... Um, unless there's far more serious technical problems hiding underneath the um, those, those fresh, clean lines. Are you suggesting that someone's been using hubris and humour to cover up for far more deep-seated problems? I, the Americans have been taking a, a, a leaf out of the British book on how to cover up technical issues with, uh, with ships and technology. I mean, uh, uh, they're yeah. also ditching the, again, in terms of nearly new ships, they're also ditching a bunch of the cyclones. Their, uh, their versions of OPVs, which is a, even more odd because whilst the LCS has a laundry list of, of all of them, actually, yeah, well, whilst they, the LCS has a laundry list of issues, as far as I, I can tell, at least the cyclones are pretty decent. I mean, they, they're as is a yeah, fitting but, for an American vessel. It's stupidly heavily armed for its size, but but they're, yeah, they're, also once again, I mean, the United States. Why does it need an OPV? Well, no, it's, it's more the fact, well, A, 
they obviously thought they needed them because they bought them recently. Um, whether or not they well, still but, need know, them is, a, is, a, is an open... That, that might have just been a, 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 a an electorate contract kind of arrangement, you know? Possibly, but I mean, uh, it's... We, it, you, 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 you use your small shipyard to build these small boats we don't need and give me your vote and... Um, mm. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, the thing is, that I say, they are really shiny. I think some of them still have the original yes. coats of paint, and I mean, they're heavily armed, they're pretty decent OPBs, and even if the Americans don't want them... I'm sure I the Philippines of, would love them. Yeah, I can think of quite a few countries who might want them. And, you know, uh, again, Australia... Can we have them? Um, we seem to need OPVs quite a bit at the moment. River batch. Oh, no, can you imagine? Are, they are they are admittedly fairly small OPVs. Um, yeah, can you have? Can you, but, I mean, can you, given the we need some that, new patrol boats for Gibraltar. We can put them all there. Well, no, I, I was, was going to say that you know Australia builds OPVs and gifts them to um, uh, Pacific states as part hmm. of our you know um, yeah. trying to be friends with the neighbours. Uh, I'm sure that you know. Uh, <laughs> Handing over a few with a couple of nice big fifty cows hanging off the side, as these things do, would uh, immensely boost America's um, reputation amongst the. They uh, could be the New Jersey, Gibraltar, and patrol boats. Yeah, I was going to say the, 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 the Jersey fishing patrol needs some new ships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. But you know, getting on to the other subject, you know, the the fact is they, the U.S. budget is allowing for a replacement rate of eight ships a year the moment which isn't going to give you 350 ships by any means it's probably not even going to give you 300 ships in the next decade um but the argument let's see, is if those ships yeah. give you let, how long are you going to keep a ship in service for 30 40 That's, years this is the point the the, the uh the ships that they are cutting are the old ones that are bringing the numbers down that they're not upgrading, and the argument going is that we'd much rather have one new ship which can handle all the modern technology and modern situations than two old ones that are going to be unreliable and not frontline capable. So I guess, again, the only, the only way you can make that sort of call is to actually know the insides and outs of the condition the the that you're trying to extend the life of and the capabilities of the new ships that you're building. My dad was slightly worried by the Americans saying that basically they're not that good at maintenance. Um, look, I think that, you know, that's generally, generally that since the end of the Cold War that, um, you know, that things like maintenance budgets weren't very politically um, Attractive. Uh, shiny. And... Um, who cares anyway, as long as you look like you had a fleet, that was good. But now, you know, the world's not really looking as happy as it was a decade, two decades ago, and those ships that look good are no longer enough. And instead of being um, an asset, they're a liability. They're draining funds that, and resources and crew and dock space and dockyard space that could be put towards something that has a chance to actually perform. And that's a pretty hard decision to make, and it's not a, it certainly wouldn't be a popular one, and it certainly would be a politically difficult one. Because they're um, pulling the Tycos as well. That's I, mean, I think three of them are going. But, yeah. you know, um, okay, they can carry a lot of VLS, but 
what's the rest of the ship like? Yeah, they they are really reaching the end of their service lives. Those ships have been around for a while, but yeah, I, I mean, one. I, I, I suppose this is the thing, as you say, it's like if they're providing for eight ships a year, then assuming that the ships have an average lifespan of thirty years, that means you can sustain two hundred and forty ships. Mm-hmm. Um, I think China won't have too much of a problem getting past that number very soon. They're past no. it. Um, but, but yeah, they will very soon be finding, you know, that um, need to start to cycle as well. Mm. Um, that the and admittedly they've got the shipyards. Um, they're actually building to, the num- they're building the ships to do that. Yeah, and they're also building the shipyards to do that. Mm. So yeah, I, think, I, was, I know, mean, I suppose the thing is, in theory, yeah, no one's going to cry too much over a bunch of LCSs taken out of service, and as we said, the Tycho's probably reaching hull life expiry. I, the Cyclones be nice if they sold them to someone else to make better use of them. But with all this money that they're saving from taking the ships out of service, the question is, if they want to maintain dominance in the Pacific, are they reinvesting that? Or are they just going, we've made savings? Huzzah! Well, that's the trouble. They're building an Ali Burke. They're building Constellation Glass, which are fine. Mm. I, d- I agree with building Constellation Glass. I even, don't, I, 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 I even don't object to building... Another Ali, the Ali Burks. They're, they're good ships. Where's the next generation? And in nicest way, I'm, I'm sitting here, and the amount of people who are telling me it's it, it, the sort, the information I'm listening to, is it's coming. It's either one of two ways. There is a strong group which seems to be saying, "Why are we reinventing the wheel? We have a hull which works for a larger design for taking the missiles. We can just literally take out one of the gun systems, put a conventional gun system in one spot." Fill it, uh, fill it up with missiles, and Bob's way. We've got a new ship which will do the, a first-rate role, as Bill Trumps is defining it, in the Zumwalt. You could do that. You can take out one of the AGS systems, and you can put a lot of missiles in that space, a lot of missiles. And there is another group which is actually again going, no, no, no. We need to start from scratch and design a whole new thing. And you sit there and go. How is that going to take less than a decade? You have a design where you've already got tested three sets of the engines, three sets of the hull manufacturer, three sets of all these tools, three sets of of all the sensors, three sets of everything. You've got it. You've got mature technologies on the Ali Burke, which are brand new technologies, but are mature enough you can easily install them risk-free. You have a risk-free hull. You have risk-free technologies that you have put the two together and just go with it instead of doing this constant oh but we could have something really super and shiny tomorrow if we just live like uh in a hair shirt today and um by the way we know that that super shiny thing will work because it works so well in the simulations just Mm. like the ford just like the lcs (laughs) (laughs) just like the ags on the zumwaltz Mm. Everything's wonderful so in simulation. Oh, by by the something... way, I was wrong. I was wrong earlier. They're only decommissioning two Tycos, but only still is a yeah. Still a lot capability there. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, the... still two hundred eighty-eight missiles, isn't it? Gone. Yeah, well, it, yeah but again, the argument is: can can the ships actually get to sea even after they get there? Mm. Yeah, so. but you're replacing two hundred eighty-eight VLS tubes plus whatever the LCS 
doesn't bring to the fight uh, with what? Uh, a Burke and a, a consolation. Yeah. That's not anywhere near 288. Um, and, you know, the the other components there that they're getting a, a replenishment oiler, I'm sure that's mm. yeah. a uh, John Lewis. Very clever and necessary um, component that people always forget to talk about. A surveillance ship. Well, yeah. I hope it's not Pueblo 2. I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, US surveillance ships don't seem to have a very good history of, um, you know, still being surveilling. Well, I, I, <laughs> I thought the policy was to use their destroyers as surveillance ships, but anyway, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's a way of sneaking another ILA Burke into the um, contract. Mm. I don't know. Um, and um, you know, two fleet tugs. Well, you probably need those if you're trying to keep your Tycos mm. in service. Mm. <laughs> all the all the um, yes. And of course, two Virginia class mm-hmm. tax ups, which are of course their you know, first probably year. The, probably the strong strongest element of the U.S. Navy at the moment. Mm-hmm. They just keep chugging along with building good quality SSNs. Mm. It does make you wonder if the if the sub submariners occasionally pop the periscope up just to see what chaos and nonsense is going on on the surface. Then wind it back down and it's like, right, I'm we're sure staying down here for a bit. <laughs> I'm sure that they appreciate the peace and quiet of being down below and not having to put up with the daily barrage of uh, chaos, mayhem, and uh, hmm. insanity. Well, let's consider the big problem they've got coming because, of course, they have the Ohio class replacements coming in. The Columbias. Yeah. Mm. Which is going to be very confusing. And. I think Columbia should launch a fleet of submarines and call them the United States class, just as a reciprocal. <laughs> or Estados Unidos. And oh, there is the fact that, well, the Virginias have been built since 2000. That's a 20-year-old design. Now, in the nicest way, the U.S. Navy does have precedence. Los Angeles class were in construction from 1972 to 1996, so that's 24 years. That makes a small problem. Because, to my mind, that means the Seawolf, Virginia class... Our successor is going to have to start being looked at soon and start being considered. Now, it could be a next batch of Virginias, which I wouldn't be surprised if the US Navy is how they go it. But a 24-year-old design, no matter how many times you've upgraded it, and we are talking about getting Block 5 now, it's still a 24-year-old design. Well, you had um, the 688i program, didn't you? Which mm-hmm. um, they were fundamentally quite improved over the original six eight eights. So yes. maybe, well, can't have Virginia I. That doesn't really sound very good. Virginia two, Virginia what? B <laughs> program. Uh, I mean, the blocks the blocks bring in incremental improvements as well, but. Yeah, yeah, but at it, a certain point, are you building a new class or are you calling it a block of Virginias just because that's easier to get through the US Congress than it is to admit that you're building a whole new class of submarine? 
Well, I mean, to be honest, the U.S. Navy is kind of a past master at, um, yes, honestly, Gov, this is exactly the same ship as before, or... This is the same super, this is the same Hornet. Yeah. I mean, it goes all the way back to just after the American Civil War with the various monitors that they, um, yeah, we we just need some money to uh, complete this monitor that's been sitting rotting away on the stocks for 20 years. Quietly builds in a brand new ship that just happens to look vaguely like the old one. And yeah, it's been going on that way for quite a long time. Um, so as, yeah, as you said, the super horn, the whole super hornet thing. Um, because, oh, actually, call it West Virginia glass. <laughs> oh, good lord! <laughs> oh. All right. Well, with that, I think we've covered the three subjects we were Ooh. planning to. Cover and today. we have gone back in a circle to submarines. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. Look, you know, there's no doubt about it. I'm sure that we could probably do with some of these West Virginia class ups over mm. here in Australia. But <laughs> the, I really don't suspect that um, the United States would be willing to hand over the uh, citizenship, citizenship documentation that goes with all of its <laughs> uh, n- nuclear engineers and um, likes necessary to keep. Them, I, I'm uh, still uh, betting the next class of British SSNs are called the Bashful class. But I'll mm. leave that to one side. So thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Jamie and Drac. I think yep. we've had fun. I'm just, off to bed. Just uh, <laughs> everyone, just segue away, imagining that somewhere in the West Pacific, perhaps ten years down the line, there'll be a very confused set of Chinese hydrophone operators as the dulcet tones of country roads come warbling through the oceans. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> that's gonna get us. Sec- that's gonna get us hunted down. Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Welcome to the Bilge Pumps, where a bunch of naval geeks spout off. <laughs>